Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Tuff Network where we dive deep into Albo's most inhuman work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we pick up with Execution 13.8, which begins after one of the saddest things we've seen since Blake entered the abyss, <laughs> and maybe even since the start of the story, um, where uh, Jeremy is uh, defining his terms for betraying Sandra. Um, it basically starts with him setting up exactly in what ways he's going to betray her, uh, or betray the family while trying to not hurt her or any specific Duchamp. Yeah, I, I like how this sort of immediately appeals to this this concept Blake has somewhat loosely been working off of people being monsters, um, where, you know, Jeremy's thing is basically, I don't want to just kill anyone, you know, they sort of have to, well, he doesn't want to kill anyone and Blake works him down to unless they deserve it. Yep. But, you know, like it really, it really gave me good feelings about how this was going to go right from the start because it's sort of like okay you know jeremy's on team fuck the duchamp family as a symbol because it's awful but he doesn't want to go around killing people and i was like this is good this could have a good effect on blake hopefully yeah yeah again jeremy is the uh the right type of uh willing to murder people you know willing but not (laughs) as eager as blake (laughs) um yeah and so i think it's worth pointing out that uh, it, it it seems pretty clear here, and it becomes clearer, even clearer later on in the chapter, that Jeremy's okay with murdering some of these Duchamp husbands, which, I mean, he was kind of, we saw as the de facto leader of the Duchamp husbands, so if I were them, I'd be pretty pissed off, because their more or less leader was just, like, defected and then started uh, agreeing to murder them. Well, yeah, but just the shit ones, well, yeah, I don't know why I'm defending him. Um, yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, I wonder if there are any Duchamp husbands that are just kind of looking around awkwardly like, uh, you know, they're, they're not piece, huge pieces of shit, they're maybe just a bit of a piece of shit, and they're looking around like, ooh, I don't know if I want to be in this group. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't really get to see Jeremy, so they don't, as far as I'm aware, they may not know about this, like, I don't, I don't mm. know how much Sandra would have just given this info up. Yeah, totally. I mean, you feel like it would be a, a politically bad move for her to say, Yes, my husband has defected and is going to try and murder some of you. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, Blake makes it pretty clear later that he's only interested in killing a select few. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, they may not have as much concern to be worried as maybe they should. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a pretty sad scene, though, right? Like mm-hmm. Jeremy and Sandra's, I guess, negotiation before their goodbye again just reaffirms how much kind of mutual respect they have for each other and how sad it is, especially for, like, especially for Sandra. I feel, it's weird, I feel bad for her. Like, I, <laughs> despite everything, I do still have some respect for her and I, I feel bad that she's losing the one not kind of <laughs> terrible thing in her life. Yeah, but that's the thing. She... She lost it long ago when the whole thing yeah. of Dionysus versus what the Duchamp family stood for pulled them apart. Um, so it's like, it was already gone and they've basically just been clinging on to this false sense that it's still there to some degree. I mean, yeah, this whole thing is, is so heart heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, I, it's somehow worse since Sandra is like, oh, I knew that this was coming yeah you know she obviously knew that there are sort of 
I mean, Romeo and Juliet feels like a tacky kind of uh, comparison, but you know, like they're the sort of from these incompatible uh, practices, kind of. Yeah. And, and she's known that this sort of thing was ha- was going to have to come eventually, um, but they've just been they they both care for each other, so they didn't want it to. Ah, uh, yeah, it just it sucks. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I like I agree. I I kind of like Sandra, and I'm upset that this is happening to her, which I also hate because she kind of admits here that she's like, yeah, I knew you'd come for the Duchamp family because you're angry about what happened to us because of it, and it's like, well, shouldn't you you be like? Yeah, I don't know. Like, do, like you know, I, I feel so bad for her, but at the same time, it's like you're the head of this shit family now. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. She she's uh, probably sworn oaths so that she has to. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I I wonder if we'll get to see Sandra more uh, concretely wrestle with some of the stuff about the Duchamp family that is being brought to the forefront here. I'm not sure. Mm. I mean, she's obviously picked her side on it, but it, even so, I. I can't imagine it's easy for her to continue to justify what's going on um, in in the face of, you know, how the harsh realities that Blake is making them confront. Yeah, I mean, she seems like an intelligent person, so it's hard to believe that she's not going to, she's not confronting this on some level. Yeah. Um, so Jeremy and his coterie begin to retreat uh, before realizing that now that they're on Team Blake, there's no such thing as retreat. <laughs> um, so Blake decides, let's continue some stalking, and Jeremy sends two satyrs to help him dispatch the Ritchie brothers. Blake really is a dog with a bone when yeah. it comes to this sort of stuff, isn't he? Like this, this reminded me of you know the end of Arc Seven, uh, where he just everyone's like, you know, it, it, you should probably stop now and and take a break or whatever. And I mean, in this instance, he's kind of right. Like they're tired. They're on the back foot. This is kind of the perfect time to strike. And I mean, he seems to have been right. Uh, but you, you can't help but get that sense of this is just Blake being like, no, I got to choose the mission. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's, I don't know. You, you're right. It does remind, uh, remind one of the end of arc seven, which didn't end so hot for Blake. His his <laughs> relentless pursuit of of confrontation obviously caused him to be so fucked over by um by fate, I suppose. Uh yeah. Yeah, I don't know, we'll see. Um there, <laughs> there's another fun hint where Jeremy uh basically is unwilling to fight against the Mason, the benevolent. Um again, the build up to, to this guy is insane. <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a bit, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um there's also a moment where Green Eyes basically uh quite obviously checks out one of these two satyrs who are, you know, described as attractive masculine figures, right? Um and I <laughs> I'm kind of unsure whether it's Green Eyes well, it's obviously Green Eyes actually thinks they're attractive, but I kind of feel like she's just playing this up for Blake's benefit. I don't know, she tries to hide it afterwards. I think um I mean, I think she's just got that insatiable appetite for human flesh. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I like what you wrote here. You've, do you want to read it out, Elliot? Oh, yeah. So the other line I was thinking about going with was, um, I was, I'm surprised there was any water left in the lake by the time they summoned her at the end of Arc 11, because Greeno seems pretty thirsty. <sighs> beautiful, beautiful stuff. <laughs> um, so speaking of horrifying lines, there's this line that Evan says where he's talking about how Blake's eyes seem to be really bad. And this is a beat we've seen a few times where 
Green Eyes and Evan, and also one of these satyrs in this chapter, are so more easily able to pick things out in the kind of darkness and, and distance than Blake is. Mm. And so Evan talks about how we should get new eyes, and Blake's like, mm, I'm fine with my eyes, thanks. And Evan says, maybe if you plucked out your eyes and let them regrow, which would probably work, but this is horrifying. And it kind of makes me think, you know, I'm pretty sure I figured it out. Evan has actually been replaced by poor Drake. Uh, it's a Maggie Holt situation. I think that explains why Evan's <laughs> acting so weird. <laughs> That's some real good glamour. Um, yeah, I mean, well, you know, it couldn't be poor Drake because he's been gone for a while now. Like, you know, so he's not in the story anymore. Um, he mysteriously disappeared long ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, something that came up in the in the, in the the live read was that I made a list at the end of the chapter. I was like... Uh, you know, but we've still got like a barber upstairs and, and a missing crow person. Yeah. And then our Discord just kind of turned into people listing other potential dangers. That, <laughs> like, There's been, a lot out there. Uh, yeah. And I was just like, wow, the <laughs> Blake's in so much trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously, Pordrig is one who didn't make that list, but probably should have because he's off somewhere. Um, but uh, to go back to Evan's quote, it it kind of feels like maybe Evan is being a bit. Blake is having a bit of an impact on him. Like, it, it feels like this very, you know, oh, well, why not just use your body and, and, and give in? Like, it, it seems like a very fair thing for Evan to suggest because Blake has kind of wantonly been turning himself into a monster to improve his battle situations. Like, yeah. I, I think given the context of how Blake has been treating himself as well as Evan very recently, it doesn't really seem like such a crazy suggestion. Yeah. I see this as Blake having influence on evan of a very bad kind yeah i don't like the fact that evan is encouraging blake's self-sacrifice um that can't be a good sign surely no uh, no I, I agree although at the same time i think the way evan just kind of wonders this question that does feel like a very uh, maybe i was just a weird kid that feels like the sort of thing you'd wonder like just oh well you know if you pluck your eyes out maybe you'll get new super eyes I don't know. That's, I actually <laughs> thought that was a fairly normal thought. Maybe I'm just a weirdo. Let's move on. Yeah. I mean, it probably would work, right? I mean, maybe. He's already got... Doesn't he already have, like, six eyes or something? That was something that was brought up in one of the interludes. <laughs> yeah, the birds. Sure. Yeah. The birds in his body. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, so Team Blake, uh, which is Blake, Green Eyes, Evan, and these two satyrs, they kind of slowly close in on the Ritchie brothers basically avoiding a wealth of, of uh, mystical diagrams that have been left around as they close in. Mm. And there's a, there's a quick final part to this discussion where they're sort of like, uh, hey, Blake, how much like flesh do you sort of have left? Like Evan and Green Eyes are sort of like, how's your whole flesh situation going? And he just refuses to answer. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's great. Um, and, I, and I think we'll talk about it, a bit more about that as we get into the fight at the end of the chapter. But um, yeah, obviously they start to make their way towards these brothers and it's actually like a pretty cool stealth section yeah so the past you know three or four chapters of basically on paper their one sentence summaries are blake hunts down and kills a few duchamp husbands um (laughs) but it's it's great how each of them has felt so different this one feels a lot more stealthy and cautious than all the other ones have kind of more intrigue based um which i really liked it's it's felt very distinct over the past few chapters even though they are all tangibly like just doing some duchamp murders (laughs) yeah i remember we we talked about something similar during the siege of the house like an arc or so ago like where it was you know every chapter was just another part of the others invading the house but 
each setting felt really unique and led to a completely different type of fight. Yeah. Um, when you had like a different other and a different room. And and that's sort of what this has been as well is uh, Blake has sort of been pursuing these two shops through different environments and focusing on different ones. And uh, yeah, it's just something I think the story has been very strong at overall is making every fight feel really unique due to a mixture of setting and the people in the fight. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And so Blake is kind of sneaking around. He actually goes around a lot of diagrams, which is the exact opposite of what he did last chapter. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. <laughs> I mean, obviously these diagrams don't have presence in the center to bait him in, <laughs> but um, it's interesting that he, he seems to be acting a little differently than he did last chapter. Well, I think if he'd seen a hole that he could walk through in these ones, he, he would have. Um, I mean, that's basically what he does. There's a big hole between two diagrams, um, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think I think this is f- somewhat consistent, although he does seem to be resisting this urge to just rush in. He's trying to make sure he does his mission as well as possible. Yeah. Um, and he's he basically closes in and is about to pounce on the Duchamps when suddenly the satyrs uh, betray him. And we had this set up earlier in the chapter where uh, Jeremy was talking about how he'd get bad karma for betraying Sandra. And this seems to be, or at least in, in Jeremy's opinion, is uh, the bad karma manifesting itself through the satyrs betraying Blake by screaming um, a kind of battle scream as they charge in, which gives away <laughs> everyone's position. And Blake uh, still decides to leap on into danger and is now surrounded by a, a an indescribed but relatively large, one would think, number of competent practitioners. Yeah, uh, it was all going so well. Like, we, we sort of skimmed over. There's this whole bit where they sneak past the homunculus gargoyle thing that um acts like a security camera um and, and all that and it's just it's like all flowing so well and then it just all goes to shit and i was just like oh of course why why did i think this was going to continue to go well yeah. have i not been reading the story yeah um, you forgot what story this was for a second yeah <laughs> um i do i do like sorry this is just a quick aside i, I only just thought of it um there's a little bit where he notes he there's a bit of Blake's language where he implies that he can see the where the homunculus is looking. Mm. Like like almost like he he kind of has this understanding of its current field of view. And just I feel like there's been a few tidbits including like that golden light he saw a few chapters ago that we were questioning. Kind of feels like maybe he's starting to get his sight back. Mm. And I don't know what that means. Well, um but, like, I, I'm starting to wonder if that's what's happening. Yeah, there have been a few beats, and I didn't really put it together until you said something along this this um, this line in our notes, but there have been a few beats of things like his eyes seeming to get worse in general, his sight seeming to return, things like this that seem to be hinting towards, like, uh, coming, coming back a bit. Um, the fact yeah. that he stepped down at the end of last chapter against Jeremy, like, a few things that make it seem like his interaction with Jeremy has at least quieted his monstrousness a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't know. There seems to be a few things. And I guess like the question that leaves me with is, is like, why? Like, has something happened to Rose would probably be my first guess. But mm. uh, I guess we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Um, to completely go against that, Blake now basically beats the shit out of a bunch of practitioners <laughs> <laughs> before uh, executing two of them um, so far. Um, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he kicks ass in this yeah. segment. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, 
there's an interesting bit where he, he sort of he does some cool moves where he like stops people from being able to practice by like getting in early and he, he sort of says to himself um in this like this karma was on my side declare my opponents stick to the plan be what i was supposed to be and i just found that interesting because it's like a very different attitude to what he had like an arc ago when he was out of the drains oh sorry out of the tenements and was very much on team i'm going to completely crumble the whole universe's structure um now he seems to kind of be accepting his role in in the universe and taking strength from it which which is interesting yeah i yeah and that kind of i don't i don't know what to think because you're right that that's true but then it also feels like that's the opposite of what we just said right like there's a few conflicting signals here about what about what Blake is, and maybe that's the answer. Maybe he's just kind of settling into himself a bit more. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, there's there's bit, there's two sides of him at, at war in a way, and there have been for a while now. So it kind of makes sense when we get to these conflicting ideas that it's, you know, he he's he's kind of struggling with two sides to himself. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I I actually I read this as somewhat of a good sign based on how the chapter ends, but let's touch on that when we get there, I guess. Okay, sure. Um, So just quickly, (laughs) there's a line where uh, they're talking about the Ritchie brothers. Blake mentions the Ritchie brothers being on his kill list and uh, Mason Hall McCullough, the the (laughs) benevolent says, I'm on the list too. He called out almost cheerful. Wait your turn. Evan shouted. Um, Again, I just love this character. (laughs) I'm kind of sad how, you know, how quickly he resolves because I would have loved to see more of him. Uh, yeah, I agree. This is hilarious. Um, it's one of the funniest bits in the chapter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this fight kind of breaks out and one of the practitioners, a goblin king, throws this toad at Blake, which grows until it morphs into this big, horrifying goblin. Um, and it's... It's intimidating. It's probably one of the more powerful others that we've seen in a while. Yeah, but what kind of horrible person would just pick up their familiar and and, and throw them across? Uh, never mind. Um, that's Blake too. Yeah. Whoops. Never mind. Um, I, I want to talk about this goblin because it it feels it feels like a bit of a weird mirror of Blake. Like I kind of got this yeah. perspective when I was reading it. The fact that it has this, it, yeah, it's got like its suite of goblin tools, right? Um. And mm. I, <laughs> I love how horrific it is, and how horrific its goblin weapons are. And it it's kind of explicitly called out that one of its weapons reminds Blake of the hyena, which I also love. Um, yeah, it's the only other that we've seen that uses other others. Figure <laughs> out which one of those are capitalized and which ones aren't yourself. The only other one of those we've seen is Blake, and I I absolutely love that he fights it, and it kind of. I don't think he ever puts two and two together on it, but it, it, at least to me, is a very good example of like, hey, Blake, this is your monstrous path, so, you know, steer clear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the concept of having a goblin that collects and uses other goblin weapons was already so great, but then to have him fighting off against our main character, who's also become a bit of a, a collector of such fine antiquities, yeah. um, is is so uh, thematically interesting. Um you're right, Blake doesn't really put two and two together, but it's hard not to see the story trying to make a comment on Blake's current status, I guess, through this. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and this goblin is disgusting. One of its weapons is yeah. a dagger that it uses to cut open a car and then give birth to <laughs> naked little baby goblins, which is horrifying. <laughs> and the dagger has like a screaming goblin woman face on it. It's like, it's all really gross. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, also his axe that just spurts out flesh from anything it hits um there's a hilarious bit where blake get one of those babies gets hit while it's in blake's mouth and just sort of explodes with an erp noise yeah um it's hilariously disgusting i mean that's like, like goblins are so much fun like god they're fucking disgusting i love it mm. yeah um, it's gross <laughs> so there's also a bit here where blake gets stabbed by the goblin and his sword question mark blake doesn't really seem to think about this much yeah it's it's the most nonchalant facial stab wound (laughs) i've ever seen yeah like like even reading it the second time i was like he so he did get stabbed right like that's like it seems like he got grazed across his forehead or something a bunch of blood goes into his mouth he has to spit it out um you know that's that's you know reminds me of that fairy fight in arc two uh but yeah um like he i guess he just sort of doesn't think about it there's there's a few other bits in this fight where he starts to lose flesh and we've just had a conversation earlier in the chapter about how he doesn't have much left and now like bits of his face are starting to get got he almost loses his eyes later on as well um i don't know yeah the goblin also gets rid of the weapon after it seems to not really bother blake so much which i guess means that it was probably meant to have some awful effect that just didn't affect blake yeah, it was supposed to turn him into a horrifying monster, but for some reason it just didn't do anything to Blake. I don't know. Weird. Let's not so read too strange. much into it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, Blake uh, f- is fighting this goblin, um, and the goblin uh, basically forces Blake to step away, and Blake almost gets bound by one of these uh, binding circles that are just around. Um, Evan helps him a few times before flying off to help Green Eyes, and as Evan flies away, the big goblin opens its mouth and shoots, (laughs) using some gunpowder-infused teeth, shoots Evan. This is the coolest thing ever. Like, as as if this goblin wasn't already cool enough with his other goblin trinkets, it it turns out, like, his body transformation like all his nails and stuff goes even deeper and he somehow put a a crossbow with three barrels in his mouth that's so cool yeah this goblin's pretty uh fucked up right um he's basically got a shotgun in his mouth (laughs) um Uh, yeah it's it's insane and so here's an interesting thing we've seen evan get shot before right we saw this happen in the police station and i remember the feeling that it caused in Blake when it happened. That didn't happen this time, but I I felt that. I mean, I, as the reader, Mm -hmm. had that sinking feeling in my heart. But Blake didn't seem to have the same feeling that he had when Evan got injured. Um, He didn't get shot, sorry. Someone, like, snapped his neck or something. Yeah, Duncan. It was Duncan. Duncan, of course. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it's it's wild. So this kind of confirms that their connection definitely isn't what it used to be. But it's very scary, and Blake kind of... Like, it feels like Blake is about to get tipped over the edge, and he actually has quite an interesting reaction, which I think we'll touch on in a second. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was went through the same thing. I was like, oh, God, no, not Evan. Yeah, Blake, no, right. Because I'm kind of waiting for something to be that last push for Blake, because he's so on the brink. Like, we've just talked about how little flesh he has. And then the thought of losing Evan, I was like, well, fuck, that would do it. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, and especially like, you know, we, we talked last chapter about the difference between his emotional and his physical damage. Uh, losing Evan would sort of be the last emotional straw, uh, I, I, I think. Um, but he does have some, he does have some emotional reaction to this because he talks about how much the birds in his uh, stomach are fluttering right yes. before he picks Evan up and puts him in there with them. Yeah. Um, um, I want to kind of describe what happens next because we've been talking about this chapter about how it seems like there's this uh, push and pull between Blake's, I'm just going to call them his monstrous and his human side, but obviously it's a bit deeper than that. Um, and yeah. Blake's immediate response is he he looks at the big goblin and, you know, you can see in his eyes there's a path that he could go down of basically freaking the fuck out and, and murdering this thing. But he doesn't. He goes to check on Evan first. And and uh, he, it, coincidentally, this is kind of what saves him from another attack that this goblin uh, lets loose. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then he starts to freak out, right? And, and the question that Blake asks himself, and the interesting question here, I think, is: Is this anger and rage um, the monstrous or the human part? Right? Is checking on Evan a human moment of him being kind of concerned for his one of his closest companions, or this kind of monstrous thought of utility, which I think reminds me of you know a chapter or two ago, Blake thinking, mm. "Oh no, I've lost my lockpick. I better go check on him." Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Well, it's packed. It's probably both. Um, yeah. And I mean, that was sort of, I, I sort of had a different read on this section, I guess. Um, I sort of got the impression he agrees that both parts of him want revenge. Although, interestingly, he talks about how the human part of him wants revenge of a different sort for a different reason, which yeah. I don't think I fully understand what that line might have been trying to tell me. Um but what's very interesting and and I think is really sort of the the through line of this chapter is this idea that he decides that what's more important is the mission like he basically picks Evan up and goes back to killing the practitioners yeah and obviously he 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 did the same thing with Jeremy early in the chapter um we see how strong his resolve is uh when he knocks off the third person from his list at the end of the chapter it's um I mean, it's interesting. Like that, seem- he seems to be defining himself by this mission right now, which is almost complete. He's only got one name left by the end of this chapter, and it's supposed to be someone who's fairly easy. But we'll see how that works out. Yeah. Um. You clearly can't trust how tough everyone says someone's going to be. <laughs> uh, but he, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting how like he just sort of tucks Evan away and almost moves past the emotions of it, which doesn't feel very human it feels very methodical mm. he he just embraces the the mission in this moment and yeah. i can't decide whether i think that's a good or a bad thing yeah no i'm with you uh he 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 puts evan inside his heart hole nice to keep him safe and he he kind of re-engages the goblin before um choosing to abandon this goblin and kind of turning and, and attacking the richie brothers which is again very on mission and you're right it's kind of like I don't know. Maybe, maybe the point is there's no distinction between the monstrous and the human Blake, right? Or, or I don't know. Like either in Blake or in general, maybe the monstrous and the human is a bit of an arbitrary distinction. Um, maybe the point we're meant to take well, is they are just these pieces of a whole. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, like I think you're right because the the through line. For, sorry, I'm overusing that word. The the sort of um, thought here is Blake goes. The monstrous part of me wants violent revenge. The human part of me wants a slightly different type of revenge. They're both for Evan. Um, but me as a whole, like I, I want something different. Mm. And I guess maybe that's maybe that's sort of a clue. Like 
we talk so much about the human side of Blake and the monstrous side of Blake, but if Blake is really from the get-go, he was sort of half other, um, you know, he was only half a person. Like, is is there is there a third part? Like, is this is this a Blake triangle, not a Blake? Um, I don't know, seesaw. Interesting. Um, like, there's there's this because because that's yeah. sort of what he starts to hint at here is is this idea of aside from the human part of him and aside from the monster part of him, there's this inherit blake part of him and and you know he talks about how he was going to be blake uh, i think it was at the end of 13.6 and then we talked about how he seemed to not be very human in 13.7 maybe that's because we were missing the point maybe blake is something that's not human but it's not monstrous it's just other yeah maybe it's maybe it's um so what you're thinking what you said makes me think of the fact that blake's connection to his past has also been something that kind of ebbs and flows um mm. maybe there's something there about that we'll kind of see emerging as tying Blake to his kind of core Blakeness because his his fictional or yeah. know, not his past doesn't seem to be his human or his monstrous side but it's something that ebbs and flows with him kind of distinct from that so maybe there's something there well and, and if if that is right like what it, it like that will that to me will feel kind of like a bit of a thesis statement for the story in a way like what are we saying about what is blake because that that'd essentially be what we're doing we're saying if you take the human and you take the monster out what is the core of this person is that the right word mm, um you know like, what is it that yeah what is it that makes it it such him i, I don't know what pronouns to use because i don't know what i'm talking about mm. um yeah i don't know i like i'm very interested to see if that's right, where it will go over the next few arcs. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see, I suppose. Um, so back to the brutal murders. <laughs> uh, Blake cuts off one of the brother's heads and uh, murders the other one. It's very brutal. It's 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 one of the more violent kills that we've seen. Yeah. Um, I mean, technically, we... Like, so obviously one of them gets their head completely, like, taken off. We can assume that one's dead. The other one, all that's mentioned is it took the flesh axe to the groin. So we don't know that they're dead, but I, like we can assume, right? Um, Blake yeah. seems to, uh, and this flesh axe has kind of explosive f- flesh properties. I assume, I assume this guy didn't take take it very well. <laughs> yeah, um, we do later see that all of Team Blake is pretty much covered in blood. So I'm assuming the exploding flesh uh, was at least somewhat effective. Oh, I, I thought that was from the homunculus because Green Eyes gets pretty bloody yeah, when true. she's fighting it at the start. I don't know, true. maybe. Um, there's a lot of blood going around, I guess. Um, <laughs> so uh, the big goblin is called back because it, uh, <laughs> to prevent more collateral damage, like this head being lopped off. Um, yes. And uh, the benevolent Mason Hall McCullough steps forward, ready to face Blake. He says, strike me down if you think it's right, Blake. And uh, Blake does. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Um, I-, I love how it's delivered in the text because it's barely... Like it just kind of quickly ends the chapter. It's it's not spelled out for you. I had to read it a few times and like sit on it for a couple of seconds to be like, so so he's killed him. Yeah, totally. That that, that was it. <laughs> and, and, um, like it's a real it's a real like moment that just leaves you sit, sitting there going, what? Yeah, uh, it's such a great way to end the chapter. Uh yeah, I I love it. Yeah, I, I have, obviously, I like it as well, but I have mixed feelings about it, right? Because <laughs> there's a lot of build-up to this benevolent character, and, and he has seemed so fun. And I do really like the the way it um, 
Blake basically doesn't have time for that bullshit. <laughs> um, it, it, it's very true to who he is. And I also think the fact that as he's killed more and more people, he's um, kind of commented on or noticed their deaths less and less, uh, which I think also ties into his general transformation, which I like. Um, yeah. Still, yeah. mixed feelings. Um, I, I agree with you that on one level, I'm a little disappointed we didn't get to see more of this guy because he does seem, as you said, very fun. Um, but this is this is so perfect. Like this idea of this guy with all all the universe kind of protecting him, basically just sort of saying, "Hey, if if it's right, take me down." And Blake doesn't hesitate. The universe seems to basically back him on this. As yeah, this is Blake's job. Like I'm assuming that's sort of where karma comes into it. In the way karma will aspire to have the universe protect you like the spirits will like aspire to give you a hand but they're not going to like completely fight against things so the idea that this is such a blake thing to do that he's just gonna stab this guy and like the universe is just sort of like no that's that's so blake like we're not gonna stop it um it really solidifies this idea of him being so on mission which has really been as we talked about the whole theme of this chapter to a degree is blake's mission kind of defining him here yeah it it makes me think that um you're right that that does imply that the universe kind of backs blake chasing his purpose here which kind of is interesting because as he was trying to fight the system more uh more uh obviously i guess he felt like the universe was acting against him so Mm -hmm. it kind of makes me think does that mean he's gone down the wrong path now he's playing into what the universe kind of and karma seems to want yeah like that's the thing because my first thought on this was oh so what he's doing is he's just finding a role where the universe will like let him fight against it and it's like but isn't that kind of what like half the duchamps the young duchamps keep saying they're gonna do it's like oh i'm gonna get to a position where i can do it um i mean i guess my best analogy if we look at our old capitalist metaphor is blake's trying to set himself up as some sort of disruptor I i don't know um uh, yeah, and all disruptors eventually just become uh, big companies, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, it, it is very interesting. Like, and, and uh, we brought up that line earlier where Blake is like, "Oh, well, you know, the universe is with me when when I do this and act like a boogeyman." And we see it again here. So I just can't decide whether I think it's a good thing or not. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, and this is the second last chapter of this arc, so I suspect some of these themes will come to a head more next chapter yes we've got uh we've got one person left on the on the list who is meant to be the loner which is very interesting in our world of connections and how blake's been doing with those this arc and uh blake has about one person's fight left of flesh on his body so (laughs) uh very interested to see how we do within the next chapter yeah yeah uh we'll see i suppose um before then though let's dive into some uh some mythology. It's time to take a look at some monsters, and the monster we've chosen to take a look at today is the troll. No, not the keyboard warrior kind, the other kind. Um, mm, the ones with uh, troll tolls. Yeah, the ones where you have to pay the troll toll. The one that uh, Troll in Central Park is. Um, <laughs> and trolls are an interesting thing to me, because I, I kind of, a lot of times with Monster Corner, we dive into it and we find there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that that isn't common knowledge, um, but trolls are so common, right? Trolls and goblins and stuff are some of the more common mm. fantasy creatures, you know, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, etc. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff here that kind of yep. was already in the public consciousness, but I, I thought I'd pull out some quick troll facts, some fun troll facts anyway. 
just to dive into uh, some of the history of what a troll is and where it comes from and how the myth has evolved over time, and just some fun troll facts. So let's do it. Let, let's start with yeah. some etymology, which is always a fun place to start. Um, mm-hmm. Troll is a word that has basically been unchanged since like the 10th century. Um, before then, it probably came from a, a Proto-Germanic word, trollen. So, you know, you can trace trolls back to Proto-Germanic uh, kind of Norse mythology. Um, and, and actually, you know, trolls are, are Norse in origin. At, and in Norse mythology, the, the word troll basically was just another name for what was called Jotun, uh, frost giants or giants, oh, okay. which you'd recognize from Thor, I suppose. Um, <laughs> um, oh, well, and an age of mythology um yeah but no so that's interesting because the the frost giants are like the baddies in norse mythology yes right? so yeah I, I just find it interesting that we've gone from these um what i assume are very big very powerful evil things to kind of you know for instance the dolts you see in harry potter or something yeah and i think that that transformation comes as trolls morph from norse mythology into kind of general scandinavian mythology but before then, I want to kind of touch on the origins of trolls in Norse mythology. So in mm. Norse mythology, uh, the first troll is this creature called Ymir that's basically a, like a hermaphroditic, a hermaphroditic uh, giant that was uh, the first being that was created in North, Norse mythology, right? Um, and okay. he asexually reproduced with himself, giving birth to trolls as a race of creatures. Um, and it, it's interesting. I, I kind of found out that Ymir is in Norse mythology, kind of a representation of the chaos that exists outside of creation, um, which made me think about yeah. impact. Uh, that's basically the role that demons have been said to play. Um, demons as these creatures that are outside of normal creation, right? Um, which, yeah. <laughs> which makes me think trolls and demons both descended from the chaos outside of creation. Therefore, Duchamps and Thorburns are not that different after all. Well, didn't... Um... I mean, Rose Senior talked a lot about her theory that everything comes from demons yeah. in, in some way or another. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, maybe indirectly, but it can all be traced. Every type of other can be traced back to demons. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess that kind of lines up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so over time, trolls uh, from Norse mythology morph into Scandinavian mythology and and this is where trolls kind of turn into what we imagine them being today, um, kind of slow and dim-witted. Uh, and, and maybe the, the word troll becomes a bit more generalized. I think we did one of our first Monster Corners on fairy, and in, in, in Gaelic, fairy mm. folk are basically any supernatural being in, in Celtic or Irish kind of mythology. Um, and that happens yeah. to an extent here with the, with the word troll. It kind of morphs a, a lot. Uh, but mostly you see trolls as kind of the image of them we have today. Um, some fast troll facts. Uh, it's thought uh, one one kind of idea on the origin of trolls as a mythology is uh, people seeing large stone formations that are naturally forming. Um, troll mythology, early troll mythology, says that trolls will turn to stone in sunlight, and so, you know, big, uh, weird stone shapes can be thought to kind of lead to be... Uh, trolls that were in, exposed to sunlight and then just turned to stone. Um, I quite like yeah, okay. that. Um, there's also a fun fact I liked. In Scandinavian mythology, lightning was thought to frighten away trolls, which is fun because um, that's thought to be a kind of bastardization of the fact that Thor would fight the Jotun, and so lightning, Thor, would, would scare away the <laughs> Jotun. 
trolls, um, <laughs> which is just a fun little uh, bastardization of the myth that I like. Yeah, I, I, I like that you see that. You can see the through line there of, oh, God, I'm, I'm overusing that word so much. Um, <laughs> you, you can see you can see how it went from A to B, yeah. Yeah, um, and so uh, the lack of trolls in modern Scandinavia is often uh, accounted for by, uh, and this is a quote, the accuracy and efficiency of the lightning strokes, which is just a fun little <laughs> justification for why trolls aren't around much anymore. Oh, good job, Thor. Yeah, um, and that's just some fun troll facts. Uh, I guess you've got one more troll fact for us, Elliot. Yes, or the McElroy brothers will be in Trolls 2. I've heard That's my contribution. Yeah. No, that's a good contribution. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And that brings us to the end of Troll Facts. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. (laughs) Uh, Yes, if you are interested in discussing more Troll Facts with everyone or answering our discussion question, uh, head into the discussion thread that will be linked in the show notes below. Yes, that discussion question is... The world of Pact is a world of systems. Games are also things made of systems. Which parts of Pact would make for good games or video games, and which parts would be bad? So again, find the discussion thread link down below and uh, discuss that question. Uh, yes, and if you're enjoying Deep in Pact, if, if you, if you want to tell the world how much you're enjoying it, uh, head on over to wherever you get your podcasts from, and if they let you leave reviews, do it there and, and tell everyone that we're great, and then more people will discover Pact and... Um, the world will be a better place. Definitely. Um, despite what the early chapters of Pact may suggest, awakening people to the world of Pact is only a good thing. So uh, awaken <laughs> your friends, share this podcast. Yes. Um, and if you'd like to stay up to date with uh, this podcast, why not check out our Twitter, which is at MediaMDPodcast. Um, there you can see the live reads that Elliot does every time he reads a new chapter, as well as get all the hottest Pact memes. <laughs> And isn't that what everyone wants? Yep. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about the other shows that are on the Doof Network, of which we are just one single member, uh, you can head on over to doofmedia.com. Uh, there's details on all of them. There's also a handy calendar page, which will let you know when stuff's happening. Uh, so, for instance, something that's happening tomorrow is uh, the book club. It's happening a week early and on the wrong day. So if you <laughs> usually follow the book club head on over on saturday night america time uh find the details on that calendar page and uh join matt and scott as they discuss this month's book yeah and of course that calendar page is nice but wouldn't it be nice if you could see the calendar through some kind of behame themed robot that would tell you how long you had until <laughs> doof events happened well fear no more because and I don't know why you're afraid of not having that, but in case you are, don't fear anymore, <laughs> because uh, if you become a patron at patreon.com forward slash doofmedia, you'll gain access to the doofmedia discord, which includes such things as the Behamebot that tells us how long it is until things happen. Yes, in fact, Behamebot is about to get an upgrade to version Alistair uh, any day now. Oh shit, um, we've been stuck in will... Duncan for so long, I hate it. Yeah, I know, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a long overdue uh, iteration, but it should should make Behamebot... Uh, even more better and confident than ever. Yep. Awesome. Um, while you're on Patreon, why not check out Wildbo's Patreon? Because he, he is a audience-supported writer. So help support him. Help him continue to make cool stories by going to patreon.com forward slash Wildbo. Yeah. And uh, so apart from that, we'll see everyone on Monday, the 25th of November for Execution 13.9. See you then. See you then.